0: Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, the original additive manufacturing podcast and you'll source for news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence. Brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host Sam Davis and today I'm joined by Castor CEO Omer Blair. Castor is an additive manufacturing software company that is working to support manufacturers identify suitable applications of 3D printing technology. Throughout the podcast, Blair discusses the capabilities of Castor's software products, how his experiences at Object and Stratasys led him to setting up his own business, and what we can expect from Castor moving forward. He also provides his assessment of sustainability in additive manufacturing, and the link between software tools in the AM workflow. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more Additive Insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com, where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly Additive Insight newsletter for free. Omer, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. Uh, You've been the CEO of Castor for nearly seven years um having founded the company in in 2017 but before that you spent a couple of years at object and then a few more at Stratasys. can you tell us about your experiences in these roles first before we
1: come on to castor sure um so uh, again thanks for the for the time and the opportunity so uh my background is uh in mechanical engineering but i also hold an mba in entrepreneurship and innovation they both from tel aviv university uh which is in israel i'm father for three i'm uh, 39 Mm -hmm. and uh when i worked at object and then strategist and then through the merge of uh, grabcad uh, grabcad and makerbot i was in a in positions in R&D at Stratasys that allowed me to see customers and to be exposed to the capabilities of the printers, not only Stratasys, but also of the others. And um, we had an understanding back then that the hardware is doing amazing stuff, printers can do amazing stuff, but the application is missing. An application for me means software. It means to bring the application to the printer, to identify where you can use it. And this is the mission we came out with when we started Castor Elad and I. Elad and I know each other for 21 years. We served together in the Israeli Ilfos. Um So we know each other a long way back. Elad is the computer, side, the computer science side of things at Castor. He also holds an MBA from Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and um, and this is how we started by having a mission of uh, bringing the application to a world of hardware with an intelligent uh, software. Um, so yeah, and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> so at what point then? Obviously, you you, you probably spent six, seven years working at Object or, or then Stratasys, at what point do you start to realise that, you know, to, to kind of get to the application, you know, you mentioned the application was missing, the hardware was working great. At what point do you realise that you have to maybe step out, set up your own business and, you know, develop a a business and, and be a, a technology?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it has uh, two uh, sides. The answer has two sides. One is that personally I've done an MBA, which was in a university that has tons of entrepreneurship, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that uh, managed to uh, establish strong companies. And I was in that kind of an MBA in entrepreneurship and innovation. And the second... That pushed me for entrepreneurship. And the second is that uh, um, I'm sure all of us are remember remembering can remember that uh, there was a hype around the merge of Stratus and object. It was fourteen, fifteen around prototyping, right? The, the The stock went very high. and then there was a big um, drop like happens in most of the of the technology cycles and then started the, a journey around end use parts and use manufacturing and use something with additive manufacturing and then it also became more of a, of a um, an idea that can have investors because then you're solving a problem that investors are ready to uh, put their money in so that's that was the combination of having the skills of entrepreneurship and the macro trend mm-hmm. of running after the next application in end use manufacturing in additive created the infrastructure to establish the company. And indeed, the uh, first investors of the company, uh, Tel Aviv University Ventures and tech stars in USA, and uh, a big donor of Tel Aviv University, Mr. Jeremy Kohler they were the first to uh, combine those, in their mind, those two forces and invest in the company. And in terms of the the
0: challenge around manufacturers adopting the technology and then finding applications, can you talk to me about the experiences that manufacturers are, are having when it comes to using 3D printing technology. And I imagine you've had loads of conversations with a lot of manufacturers. So provides can you provide some insight into the, the challenges they have at you know finding the best place to use the, the technology?
1: Yeah. First most of the even end use engineers that we're speaking with, which are not into additive today are not into 3D printing as as adopting a new technique of manufacturing. They're into cost reduction, they're into accelerate time to market, they're into increased flexibility in manufacturing, they're into innovation around the uh, performance of something new they need to to do. And sometimes additive can help them achieve those tasks that they have so i think the first lesson we've learned is not try to educate an engineer to adopt a new manufacturing technique is to show the benefits from a financial perspective right um, um, again cost reduction or accelerate time to market of a part and let them do an internal discussion the engineers do internal discussion without us with a software in their hand with which they can play with the parameters and change it and tweak it and think for themselves. Uh, this is why we call it a decision support system. Think for themselves whether it makes sense to involve a new technique. Um, so the the hurdle that we've tried to avoid is an education hurdle. Okay, it's a small startup from Israel. Uh, it's not our task. It's this task of HP, the soft systems, Autodesk, Mm -hmm. Pratodesk, okay? Uh, We're just trying to show the benefits upon an existing design, which might be for CNC, injection molding, etc. And if Additive can help, then starts an internal discussion. And that's a decision support system that people are ready to to have.
0: Yeah. So can you explain the capabilities of of this decision support system and of the, the Castor product portfolio.
1: Sure. So a decision support system means we enable manufacturers um, like Stanley Black and Decker, like um, um, John Deere, like uh, Maxion Wheels. So and large defense aerospace companies and large automotive companies, which we can't mention here. It means that we help them to decide whether to prefer additive over traditional manufacturing methods when it can save them time and money. And we're doing that by analyzing CAD files and 2D drawings, technically and economically. But what's special about Caster is that we're doing that in large scale. When I'm saying scale, I mean you can upload the whole dashboard of a car, the whole inventory list of spare parts, the whole sub-assembly of a machine that a manufacturer wants to produce and within seconds sometimes minutes we give a quick assessment as a screening tool whether there are parts that make sense to use additive manufacturing out of those thousands of parts at once so the first capability of caster is to analyze a lot of parts at once the second and third capability of the tool is that within this analysis of thousands of parts at once, we also try to look at what's called DFAM, design for additive, highlight, recommend, suggests things like parts consolidation, the ability to combine multiple parts into one, weight reduction. So we're not a topology optimization company, but we are very good in identifying bulky parts. It has a high chance to reduce weight using additive and we're also doing stuff around supply chain carbon emission reduction inventory uh reduction by by uh, transforming files from parts on the shelf to a digital inventory so all kind of supply chain benefits that additive can add when we see a lot of parts at once Mm The analysis itself is based on five pillars, materials analysis, geometry analysis, cost analysis, lead time analysis, and stress analysis based on uh, finite elements analysis that we do. And if the answer is positive along this, uh, those tests, then we highlight a part out of a lot of parts at once saying, hey, here is a part with those characteristics of material printer uh, orientation stresses upon it that makes sense to use that dimension.
0: In in a scenario where the you know a, a part has gone through this process and it it, it could be 3D printed but it's going to need some some design work um is how is it is it a case then that the the manufacturer has to go and figure that out is castor able to offer any support in terms of doing the design work do you have partners that you can integrate how would they get what's the next step once they've had a a kind of you know a a green light for this part but with the caveat that they need to do some design work what's the next step from there generally
1: first the the statistics we saw only from analyzing parts over cloud which most of our customers are on-premise over cloud from more than 50,000 parts we've analyzed is that 70% of the parts are not suitable for additive, 20% of the parts are suitable with design changes. 10% might be suitable as is, but only half of them are beneficial that they're being sent to quote, and only half of the half, 2%, are really being sent to print, right? we're not different than the industry uh, the, the, the software is not uh, is, um, is is there as a decision support system but we're not what's really happening in printing is not different than the industry so in terms of those 20% of dfam of those that needs design changes we're doing a few things the first is to provide the Technical and the financial data around the changed part. Okay, so if it's parts consolidation, we visualize, we provide you a visualization of how a combined part will look like, how much cost it will reduce, how much time it might reduce, what's the right material to use. But we're not doing the actual combination itself. That's an engineer should do after castro because there are tons of engineering around combining multiple parts into one. Same for weight reduction we show you the maximum weight reduction possible we show you the how you can clip the part and see how it will look like from the inside and what's the thickness of the outer shell in terms of the forces acting upon it and once you like the results you should use a topology optimization software to do that okay mm-hmm. the, to show you that same for wall thickness same for tolerances same for small holes same for threads all kind of things that might prevent apart from being printable as is and it might need a geometry change so mm-hmm. uh we are giving the data needed to pr- to do the change but we're not doing the actual change right we are integrated into manufacturing execution systems coming after Caster in case the part is printable as is, and we're integrated mostly into software be- that comes before Caster, which is where the CAD files into the drawings are. Yeah. Integrations like Siemens Team Center and Windchill of PTC.
0: Obviously additive manufacturing is uh, an industry that is still maturing and therefore the technologies are still maturing when there are, you know, so many new machines coming out, which will have different parameter sets, so many new material options coming out all the time. How did you guys then work to kind of keep updating your platform to ensure that you're kind of up to date with the latest developments in the industry? How challenging is that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. As of today, we have, um, about, 250 different materials, about 150 different printers in the database. So I would say the database as of today is, is in a good shape. There are three ways to improve the database. First is we work with service bureaus. It means that they're okay with sharing with us data of new stuff because we mm-hmm. provide them parts. We send them parts. Okay. We provide them traffic. Second is what we call caster white label. White label means that other players within the additive manufacturing arena are using our software to give better service to their potential customers. Uh, if you'll have a chance to visit, can I 3D print this in North America by EOS? Then you'll see a dedicated software to identify parts whether they're a good fit for EOS printers and materials, and that helps us to improve also caster uh, mm-hmm. and availability version. So that's uh, the second way of updating the database with the newest things. And the third is an em- employees in house. We have full time engineers running after uh, the latest uh, results. We don't do uh, pure prototyping printers. No desktop printers mostly. And it's only general availability printers that we have in the database. So it's not R&D materials that may be a unique material that a materials company developed for a specific company that we don't have. And the user has an option to add that to his own database without Castorin being involved. Okay. Among the, the
0: companies to have adopted um, door technology, you mentioned a couple of them earlier, Stanley, uh, John Deere, the likes of um, Dan Foss as well, I believe. Can you tell me as as much as you're able to about how these manufacturers have used the technology and what impact they have seen since kind
1: of adopting the, the cast door technology? So we we see three major use cases The first is cost reduction during NPI phase. That's new product introduction. That's the first uh, 800 units being produced for a machine, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. So the bill of material of the machine, the way it was designed originally is very expensive. And there is a task of the engineering department to reduce costs. And this is where additive is being considered. And we're analyzing a lot of parts of machines that are in the early days of, of the product launch. And we're identifying parts of consolidation, weight reduction, et cetera, where we managed to, to save 75% of uh, of a cost of a, of a sub assembly within a machine. Right. Mm-hmm. A second use case, and that's, I would say, the largest use case. To, uh, is spare parts digital inventory scanning that's where a company has two million spare parts sitting in a warehouse somewhere that needs to serve all the facilities of the company around the world and those two million spare parts are a huge heading For the company from a supply chain perspective so they use us just to know not to print just to go over that list of spare parts and think what they can avoid keeping on the shelf and make it as a digital file and print it on demand when you need it once you need it in a service bureau next to the failure point Uh, so that's um after market service uh case and the third is jigs tools fixtures in the production line this is where additive as of today has the most uh, advanced usage when it comes to end-use manufacturing i'm sure uh you guys are speaking about it a lot at uh at your uh podcast and that's uh identifying all kind of complex geometries where additive can have an advantage of in of cost instead of traditional manufacturing. In terms of um, you know, spare parts
0: and, and digital inventories, obviously those concepts have been talked about with AM for, for many years now. Do you see that coming to fruition in, in the real world? That there's this move now from a physical inventory to a, a digital
1: one where it makes sense to do so. I, I can maybe it will be hard in a podcast, but let me share the screen. Yeah, okay. To, uh, to show you cases, One second. Um, yeah, can you see my screen? I can, yes. Oh, uh, so, what's special about Castry in that perspective, and that's different from the industry? is that companies can use caster not to print, just to know, all right? Which means crossing the river to actually print apart, that's really, that's challenging. There are a lot of things around it. The certification of the service bureau, the uh, whether the repeatability of the print is going to last uh, for five years after that. A lot of things, right, that has to do with considering replacing a part from traditional manufacturing to additive manufacturing companies are using us to identify the opportunity and that's for companies that are trying to improve their supply chain management that's crucial for them to show innovation to the managers to show options of um addressing obstacles on supply chain. so the example that i'm showing you here again this very specific part has no advantage from a geometry or material or um uh, or performance to use additive manufacturing the only added value of this part using additive is the fact that you can print it on demand with three units in that can be provided in three days versus 30 days from china Mm-hmm. And we're identifying this opportunity ahead of time, ahead of the failure, when the parts are on the shelf. Okay. Yeah. Can
0: you, um, for our for our listeners, can you describe the the part that you were just showing me there, and the kind of industry that was in?
1: Uh, I, I'm showing uh, a part that is of a large uh, beer company, were one of the largest beers company in the world. And the part is just a a, a a holder in a plate that produce electronic boards, where this holder is where the robot take it from one station of production to the next station of production, and it sometimes it breaks because the robots put too much pressure on the plate of the electronic boards. Okay, so this very simple geometry, rectangular shape. Of a uh, holder for the robot to catch the plate has a high breakage, and this is why it's a it's a spare part that needs to be in keep, kept and needs to be um, in an inventory list of um, different locations around the world, and this is an opportunity to reduce the place of the shelf that this part take takes and uh, and replace it with uh, an additive manufacturing digital file. Okay,
0: Um, I want to come on to uh, a couple of specific features um, that Castor has developed in the last couple of years. Uh, the, The first being the the ability to visualize 2D drawings as 3D parts and kind of assess their suitability for 3D printing. So can you explain why that feature has been required and exactly how it works?
1: that's exactly connected to the previous question of spare parts Uh, a lot of the companies we're facing are looking to improve legacy products legacy very old inventory list of spare parts where they don't have any access to a cad file maybe there isn't a cad file because the part was produced before the cad software change the engineering uh, mechanical engineering life so a lot of the companies that we're reaching out to um they don't have cut files and this is how we understood there is a need to identify whether legacy parts has an option to use additive manufacturing the capability is uh of creating a near shape um 3d model out of a pdf we're the only company today that 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 is doing that in an on-premise environment in real time for thousands of parts at once um and this what gives credibility to the analysis that says that although it's a pdf from 1992 it has a high chance to fit additive manufacturing because the analysis is being done on a 3D geometry um, and not just on the numbers or letters written on the PDF. Of mm-hmm. the 2D. Okay. And
0: so, how does it? <clears throat> what What kind of information do you need then in order to go from 2D drawing to 3D model? How How detailed does that drawing need to be? And what kind of specs do you need on that?
1: We there are a lot of a lot of types of uh, 2D PDF drawings. Mm. The highest capability of Caster is based on a vector based PDF drawings that was exported from a CAD software. Okay. Right. So SolidWorks, Autodesk, Siemens, and XPTC, Onshape, Catia, etc. They all have the capability to export a drawing to the drawing, and that is the input we need to extract the right dimensions and the right uh, limitations, also mm-hmm. tolerances, for example, out of the drawing, and to to extract it and to create a shape. Um, So this is what we mostly need. We're working on additional capabilities to be able to support more of those um, different types of 2D drawings.
0: Okay, are you able to tell us at this stage about those additional capabilities or do we need to be patient?
1: We I, I am, um, it's just that it's a bit complex to explain it in a podcast, but the <laughs> okay. major type of PDF drawings are roster-based PDF drawings, which means it can be in handwriting, it can be a picture, it can be um, a 2D that wasn't uh, initially um, prepared in a CAD software. And this uh, capability, which is like identifying oranges from from a picture, this is something we're working on very hard. And we, as of today, we know how to identify at least seven oranges out of 10. Right. Um, we'll let you know, when it will be 10 out of 10.
0: OK, perfect. Um, one of the other features that um, Castor has developed is, is the CO2 calculator. Um, so, can you talk to me about how um, Castor's technology is able to assess, um, you know, the, the CO two that that goes into making a part, and how that feeds into the the other assessments made around whether three D printing is a suitable method of manufacture for whichever part it is that is being assessed?
1: Yes, first, uh, it's not only that Castor. Uh, is developing an algorithm to do that. That's a governmental grant we've got together with Siemens Technology Center in Charlotte catch facility where they are uh, validating and providing the data to create mm-hmm. an algorithm, and we're creating the algorithm so it's not only like we think that what we do can assess uh, carbon emission reduction. It's uh, a national task that we were hired to uh explore um and and get paid on that Uh, that's first the second is that what's unique about the assessment is that we're trying to look at the life cycle of a parts from the raw material it's being made of up to the point it needs to be thrown to the garbage and uh along the energy we use to produce it and the usage of the part whether it's on an airplane or on a robot on a production line and the uh shipment of the part as a spare part in its aftermarket life we're trying to identify a point where additive has an advantage over cnc or injection molding or die casting when it comes to reducing carbon emission, and if we're identifying such a point, then we're highlighting that opportunity out of a lot of parts at once with the data that we've compared traditional manufacturing emission to additive manufacturing uh, carbon emission. It does require a bit of a setup by the user, which means every country has its own method of measuring how much Carbon emission a single kilowatt an hour produce, uh, or in addition to that, we do need to know some things about the application, what this part is doing in its real life. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it does. We have an onboarding process that's like a few minutes of answering questions before we start the analysis, and based on that, again, we find the comparable in additive manufacturing um but eventually the number is is a reduction in tons of co2 additive versus traditional manufacturing out of a lot of questions.
0: yeah generally speaking on sustainability that's another one of these trends that has been talked about in, in additive manufacturing i imagine in in plenty of other manufacturing industries as well how would you assess the kind of sustainability of additive manufacturing products and processes today and I guess what more perhaps needs to be done to kind of keep moving that forward and keep you know keep improving the sustainability of of products and processes
1: Mm, that's a very good question I would say that from what we see in our software a user, an engineer won't choose additive just because it can reduce carbon emission, but if it's a cost reduction opportunity and a carbon emission opportunity, then he might use additive, which means that uh, it supports uh, the engineer's argument with the management in case the, the company has a flag of uh, of sustainability or, or things around around that, okay? Mm-hmm. So, still not in a position where I would pay more to reduce carbon emission. Sure. Um, but it will support me as an engineer. Um, to be in that position, I think it's a governmental political thing of how much subsidiary, the company the, the the governments are ready to to compensate those companies that are ready to pay more to reduce carbon emission yeah and until additive will be cheaper than traditional manufacturing which might take years we will need this subsidiary to compensate the high cost of a part in additive so uh, this is what we see in the software sure not a single decision based on sustainable we don't see that no, yeah.
0: Um, generally speaking, obviously, <clears throat> since COVID really and, and the pandemic, the the additive manufacturing market has been quite turbulent. There's been a lot of consolidation going on. Um, what's your kind of general assessment for where the additive additive manufacturing industry is at the moment? How do you see things progressing? Obviously, there's there's this aim of becoming a kind of bona fide manufacturing technology. The, the industry maybe needs to consolidate. How do you how do you say it? What what what's the industry getting right and what's it maybe getting wrong?
1: I can answer only from the software perspective. Um I'm I'm not an expert in what's happening in the, mm. in the OEMs of machines and on materials, although we have two materials companies as investors, okay. Yeah. That's how I can say. Um on the software arena today there are like uh, eight nine ten different tasks that different uh, software in the market are doing the generating the CAD and identifying the right part and um, deep dev analysis simulation analysis topology optimization generative design then all all the execution side of things manufacturing execution system security measurements of sending a part of service bureau, tools to help a service bureau to do his job better, marketplace to connect service bureaus with suppliers and the trade corporation itself for the user of the printer. That's a lot of solutions that uh, a lot of different companies are providing and what do we do is at Castor is we're integrating with them. Uh, we're trying to focus only on parts identification, what part makes sense out of a lot of parts at once, and connect Castor uh, to what comes before that, which is the PLM ERP system. This is where the CAD files are. And to connect Castor with the deep data analysis tools and MES tools after Castor. Um, And I think the user eventually wants an end-to-end solution from a single focal point within that uh, that can provide the user the whole umbrella. There are a few uh, um, initiatives in the market to provide these umbrellas. Um, uh, Octon has a nice one. Siemens uh, with uh, the new accelerator program and uh, uh, Siemens in general has a nice umbrella where they can offer a lot of solutions. Materialize CoAM has an umbrella uh, that were part of GrabCAD Print Pro, which is the new version of GrabCAD Print of Stratasys that tries to bring new tools under one umbrella to the market. Uh, windchill of PTC, PTC in general. Um, Also, Hexagon is trying to uh, establish a new one called Nexus. So we're part of those umbrellas. Uh, Mm -hmm. In all of them, we're doing the parts of the notification side. And it's hard for me to predict how it will work from an A's perspective in the world, but... uh, it's definitely that the user, the end users, are the only one to speak with one company that provides. The yeah. Industry. No question about that for the whole industry. Okay?
0: Yeah. Do you think that chain of software, you know, you, we, we've we just gone through many of the, the tools that a user needs, <clears throat> do they link well enough? Do they flow well enough? Do they integrate well enough for the end user? Obviously, Castor links into a load of these mm-hmm. software players, but if you were the user, does it all fit together nicely at the moment? No, definitely.
1: Okay. The answer is it's, it's linked in an awful way.
0: Mm-hmm. This is
1: why large companies like like Siemens, like Materialize, like uh, uh, Octon and the others are trying to tackle the task of connecting those dots together. It's a hard task uh, to cross because the standard of a user from a software perspective is very high. It's not like in the standard of additive manufacturing when I'm ready to uh, c- compromise on a lot of things when I'm operating a printer. In software, my standard is, is Google, is Microsoft, it's Apple, that's my standard. This is how I would like my things to work in a click of a button. Uh, and definitely no, the answer is uh, those dots are not linked together in a good way today
0: finally omar and thank you for, for taking the time today um <clears throat> obviously you've mentioned that castor's focus is is on application identification so with that in mind what can we expect from the company moving forward
1: yeah that's uh, that's uh, always a uh, A good question i would first say that we ended up now speaking on integrations for us integrations is is a way of living i mean uh, Castor is a standalone software it's not this umbrella that we've mentioned is is a brick within those umbrellas and there are um, a lot of of, uh, integrations we're going to show up Uh, we're going to show in the next uh, uh, several months Uh, It's also the initial question you had, which is what the end user wants. And an end user not necessarily wants additive manufacturing. He wants, as we've said, cost reduction or accelerate time to market over a bill of material, which means that you need more capabilities in injection molding and more capabilities in CNC and more capabilities in die casting and more capabilities in vacuum forming that the comparison can be in a level of the software that injection molding has or die casting or cnc Uh, so you definitely can expect Castor to show massive improvements along traditional manufacturing um, methods and uh the third uh when we're doing those integrations we're also increasing the um, intimacy with our partners. Uh, Castor has uh, investors from within the industry, as we've said, and it also has partners that help us to uh, with go to market. And you can expect uh, Castor to appear not only under Castor brand, but also under the brand of the large players within the industry and that's something that uh, for us as a startup is very important for brand awareness and to reach out to all the companies out there
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, um, you should tr- search in the small letters whether it's powered by Caster. Um because we're we're doing that a lot